0: welcome into another edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm Ethan Tuttle, joined by Chris Carbon, and today we'll be discussing and breaking down the news of the resignation of ASU Athletic Director Ray Anderson. We'll also take a look at ASU's 17-7 win against UCLA this past Saturday. That'll be behind a lot of the Anderson discussion, so we'll get to that later, but let's get right into it with this emergency podcast today as Anderson submitted his resignation after working at ASU as the AD for nearly 10 years. Anderson said in a university press release, quote, it has been a privilege to serve as ASU's athletic director for nearly a decade, he said. We've entered an unprecedented era where the number and magnitude of changes in the college sports landscape are astounding. As I approach 70, these are not matters that my leadership would be capable or able to corral during my tenure. Continuity of leadership will be needed and I am choosing to step aside to let the university find that leader. Jim Rund, ASU Senior Vice President for Educational Outreach and Student Services, will serve as the Interim Athletic Director. Rund served as the Interim Athletic Director in 2013, following the departure of Steve Patterson to the University of Texas. Let's go ahead and bring in Chris Carmen, Chris, first off, just how are you doing today?
1: Busy day, Ethan. I uh, was not expecting this news to happen today. Knew that it was a possibility uh, at the conclusion of this football season, something that I had been hearing, but um, we we have mentioned it many times on the podcast. This uh, ASU can also uh, potentially be an acronym for Always Something University, and um, that's kind of what happened today. Yeah, I mean, you
0: kind of hinted at, at how surprised you were already. Um, I just want to get your thoughts on the the main factors that led to this and everything that maybe kind of just bled into this decision from uh, Ray Anderson to to resign.
1: Well, first of all, it's hard to get a overwhelming consensus on almost anything on the Internet, uh, even in ASU athletics or football. But the reality is that 90-plus percent of – Fans wanted Ray Anderson to no longer be ASU's athletic director. Put up a poll about this on Twitter a year or more ago. That was the result. Uh, The number one question that I've been asked about in the last year and a half or so, maybe even longer, why is Ray Anderson still the athletic director? And he isn't. Now, the athletic director. Um, I think this happened later than it should have. Really, he he should have uh left um along with Herm Edwards before, after, same time, you know, roughly around then, uh, almost a year ago. Uh it, it, this was, in my opinion, um not an inevitability, but it was sort of obvious for a very long time that. ASU was not going to be able to be as successful with Anderson in charge as it would otherwise be. He just was too polarizing, too disliked, too unable to serve the mission, connect with boosters, uh, fans. There was no more emblematic thing that has happened in um, in recent history of this whole. Uh, debacle, uh, then uh, Anderson being on the field at the Rose Bowl following ASU's win over UCLA, waiting to congratulate Kenny Dillingham, fans and players celebrating profusely all around him, and then a pocket of ASU fans, dozens, I don't know, maybe a hundred, were chanting, Ray, you suck, Ray, you suck, over and over and over again. It was so stark because it was such a positive thing to see ASU win that game. And here you have these fans who are still, uh, many of them, I think even wore t-shirts. The, the t-shirts have been out in, in full effect and people have seen the billboard circling around ASU that have you know, also have this, carrying the same message, which is basically that it's really long past time for Ray Anderson to, to be the athletic director. I don't know that there was like a straw that broke the camel's back on this thing more. So I just cumulative factors and it's, you know, he's getting up there and in, in age and in his career, he's done so many things and it just couldn't have been a positive experience coming to work every day. It just couldn't have been a positive. You, you, there's nothing to really feel good about. You know, when when this is the number one thing that everybody's thinking about in every conversation that they have with you, even if they're not saying it to your face. And you know that the sentiment out there in the community is extremely negative toward you. Um, so now there's the question about he's gonna continue on um with the law with the school of law, ASU school of law and um there's a question about this four million dollars plus that he's uh owed and i don't know the answer to that is he gonna still get paid all of that because he's still employed is there going to be a reduced amount for him to continue on in that capacity is there some sort of a other settlement or buy? i'm not really sure about that one of the things that we really need to dive into Remember. He gave Herm Edwards a four point four million dollar walking away check when Edwards could have been fired for cause. So now, so you have that. Now you have these four million dollars. It's a lot of money, and I think that we still need some answers on that part of it. Yeah,
0: Anderson's been under an intense spotlight for the past two and a half years, starting since that June twenty twenty one NCAA investigation that ultimately led to a number of resignations and terminations within the Sun Devil football staff, including, as you mentioned, Herm Edwards in September of last year. All of that followed by the hiring of Kenny Dillingham almost a year ago. So it's been a chaotic period for ASU Athletics. How much of what transpired in these last couple years is Anderson really responsible for? And is that the reason he's no longer ASU's Athletic Director?
1: He is ultimately responsible, and I think, yes, that is the reason that he is no longer ASU's Athletic Director. Bottom line here is that it was his decision to fire Todd Graham, who was well-liked, even though he had gone through an unsuccessful patch. And you can make a strong case that was the right move, but not everybody agrees. Uh, uh, But he said in the decision to hire Herm Edwards, whom he had known and worked very closely with for decades, including representing him, uh, as his sports agent when he was uh, an NFL head coach, that he felt that was the right type of a leader in what they championed as this new leadership model to uh, to move ASU toward uh, more success, which he articulated to be top 15 aspirations uh, every year, top two or three in the Pac-12 every year. And then... Not only was that never achieved in terms of national ranking under Herm Edwards, but also uh, the bottom fell out when um, Edwards and his staff were found, uh, were learned to have uh, impermissibly been uh, hosting recruits during the COVID dead period when it wasn't allowed. And that became this NCAA sprawling investigation that's lasted now thirty ish months during a period of time that included recruiting just absolutely falling apart for ASU football. and really at a word at one of the worst imaginable junctures that you could have because it it took place when Nil became allowed. and and you needed, all of the support of your fan base and your boosters in that realm in order to have the, the any chance of building a very successful roster because now players are making a lot of money. You know, really great players are making hundreds of thousands of dollars or maybe even more in the case of some quarterbacks. And, and ASU fans, many of whom told me straight up, and boosters, they would give more, they would support more, but they couldn't because they didn't have any confidence in the leadership of ASU Athletics. So the bottom line is, he hired Edwards. He thought he was the right person to do this. Absolutely, that was wrong. And not only was it wrong, but it actually really crippled ASU Athletics and football. And then he was was obstinate about it when he announced Edwards' departure, saying that the program was in better shape Than it was five years earlier uh, when Todd Graham came in, and the, or however many years ago that it was, is more than five. But that, but that, what couldn't be further than the truth that we've now seen ASU football have probably its worst two year period of any time since 1947, 46, I should say, World War II. And and that is directly because his leadership, the decisions that he made in that leadership role failed. And so undoubtedly that is why we're here. And might I just also add, this isn't really, to, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I, I was trying to really be candid with, with with our audience and ASU's fans when this investigation started. A lot of people they didn't want to believe that this was going to really hurt ASU athletics and be really serious and cost the program in a major way. And I was like, no, this is really bad. The program's going to bottom out. The football staff's not going to survive this. The administration might not survive this. This is going to lead in a post, to a post postseason ban. And this is going to have to eventually usher in a whole new era of ASU athletics and football. I said that literally within weeks, if not days of this, uh, news in June, 2021 and fast forward to now, and all of that has essentially happened. And I just want to say like, that was, we're not sugarcoating. We're not, we're not, you know, this isn't like, we're not giving pep talks and, and and, and telling you things that are dishonest. We're going to keep it so real with you guys. But the good news for ASU's fans now is that moving forward, there actually is a legitimate chance to come out of this in a very positive direction with the ability to build momentum in the coming years in a way that can lead to a resurgence of success.
0: How much momentum do you think this adds uh, to the fan base just from what you've gauged today and from the reactions you've seen online, and then maybe another follow-up after that also would be when do you predict this investigation to conclude? I've seen uh, your thoughts on Twitter. It sounds like you think it'll be wrapping up um, relatively soon.
1: Yeah, so take that part of it first the The NCAA moves at glacial speed and um, there have been rumblings that this might be happening uh, really quickly after the season, that there would be a final rendering by the NCAA, but there's so many lawyers and people involved and back and forth. It it, it could take, it could be December, it could be January. I don't think this is going to take longer than the winter. This is going to happen during the winter months. And, um. and look, um, the NCAA, Situation was really bad, but I think that the worst of it is probably now over. Uh, I I really do think that because they took the self imposed bull ban, even though it should have happened a year earlier, and because they were self imposing recruiting restrictions to some degree throughout 2022 and scholarship restrictions and other penalties that were self imposed this year. I don't think we're going to end up with a lot of harsh penalties in 2024. There may be some minor restrictions of scholarships, visits, evaluation days, things of that nature. I don't think they should be significantly harmful or damaging to the the, the team's prospects moving forward. Uh I it is really important to say that NIL is, is just vital to the success of any college athletics program. Now, boosters, this is important, Ethan. Boosters have always been very important to the success of college athletics, right? You Back in the day, decades ago, there were the $100 handshakes or $20 handshakes that were given to players and nobody talked about it and it never populated to media. There were scandals that happened because guys were given money Uh, impermissibly under the table or funneled through 501c3s or whatever, whatever the case may be, right? You got the smu death penalty, you got usc with Reggie Bush that happened a quarter, you know, whatever that was 20 some years ago, and so these things are not uncommon. But what has happened in the last few years is that this has been there've been steroids injected into this whole thing because these boosters and business owners are able to directly pay without any worries or repercussions or anything directly pay student athletes. Okay. And ASU is just far behind the top 20, top 30, whatever programs in the country in this regard. And Ray Anderson was an impediment to, to overcoming that, you know, not because, not because, people couldn't give money to to the Sun Angel Collective or to any other entity to support ASU Athletics and NIL, but because of the lack of confidence that existed. But the Sun Angel Collective put out stuff on social media today, trying to get 500 new members today. And there's been a major influx of people who have joined, contributed, donated. And that is going to be thousands and thousands of dollars on a monthly basis that then can be directed by the leadership of that Sun Angel collective to the retention of players who are the most important people to keep on ASU's football team, basketball team, et cetera. And the more that those things work to the degree that they do the more that people will understand the importance of that in the equation. And then that can lead to a additional uh, support and, and and more success. So
0: there were a number of positive things that Anderson did. He did improve the graduation rate for athletes and the APR numbers as well. That's academic performance rating. So the school additionally expanded varsity sports to 26, added in a hockey arena. Uh, and much more so Chris just your thoughts on Ray Anderson's legacy and how he should uh, really just be remembered in your opinion
1: certainly there were uh, important positives one of the things I've said the whole time I've been doing this job is the number one goal of an athletic department is to transition its athletes into being successful people after college and that that starts with graduating them at a very high rate educating them, giving them the tools and resources in order to be able to go on and be successful. We know that a very small percentage are going to have professionally lucrative careers in the sports that they play at ASU, right? Whatever percentage that that is, it's less than 5% probably, okay? So that stuff matters a great deal. It doesn't necessarily matter that much to fans, most fans, unfortunately, but it matters the the it's interesting that asu promoted the sport expansion and the hockey arena these other things as positives the thing that i've been saying for so many years is that michael crow and then through michael crow's direct vision and his leadership asu's athletic directors including ray anderson have had the wrong approach to college athletics their view has been, and this is something that, that Ray Anderson articulated almost a decade ago, maybe eight, nine years ago in a a meeting with all of ASU's coaches that Michael Crow believes that ASU has, because one of the largest student populations, uh, he wants one of the largest student athlete populations and he wants to have a lot of sports and he wants to compete with Stanford in the director's cup. And. And all that sounds kind of nice, but the, when you look at it, really, really, from a business standpoint, it's an extremely flawed perspective to have at ASU, unfortunately. This is not a philanthropic endeavor, as as nice as that sounds. As good as you would like everyone, you would like to expand the tent and have more sports and everybody graduates and you help more people. That's all pie in the sky. Great. The problem, though, is that only football and maybe basketball are revenue generators to the positive. And that requires success in those two sports out of your 26 or whatever it is sports in order for that money to support everything else, okay? And the problem is that though that sport expansion requires you to resource and staff all of those sports in a way that makes it then hard to pour the necessary support On to football and basketball, when across the country, the elite programs are pouring more and more into coaching salaries, support staffing, resources, recruiting budgets, travel, uh, all of your your production that goes into everything and the way that you interface with recruits, your graphic design, your video, your 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 in-house reporters, okay, everything that it you might not think that matters. It matters. They have a phalanx of analysts behind the scenes studying every opponent, pointing together game plans, figuring out who they should be recruiting. This is a big, damn business, okay? And the bottom line is, That if you're not, if you don't have the the heart, okay, and the intestinal fortitude to compete at that level with those people and those schools who are demanding success across the country at the blue blood level, you're probably not going to quote unquote innovate your way to that type of success. And ASU fell behind because it took its eye and or its stomach, if you will, away from the understanding, the need to compete in all of these avenues, even if that meant that you can't service all these other sports, expand sports, build a hockey arena, et cetera, et cetera. From a coaching standpoint,
0: just going back to NIL discussion really quick, we uh, talked to Dillingham and Bloomquist today, as we mentioned earlier, uh, and it seemed like there was kind of some urgency in, in their discussion about NIL and getting that going and activating the Valley. That phrase came back once again uh, from both of them.
1: They know the reality of the situation better than anybody. And the reality of the situation is, as we also outlined in recent reporting about NIL, that the top 20 players across all positions averaged out in the big 12, make twice as much more as in the Pac 12 period open doors, they 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 do they they are uh privy to all of these deals. They know the numbers, they release the data to the collectives. Basketball, it's like five times more than the Pac 12 or six times more than the Pac 12. And the bottom line is that recruits, when they come to visit your place, they ask your star players, Elijah Badger, Jalen Conyers, whoever, how much money do you make in NIL? And then they compare that to the other schools that they go to. And let's say that those same people are going to Oklahoma State or Texas Tech. And they're hearing Warren Washington uh, or Devin Cambridge, players that were star players or important players at a minimum on ASU's NCAA tournament team. They're saying, how much did you make at ASU? Oh, you made a hundred? I'm just throwing that out there. It's not exactly, but it's it's in the ballpark. Okay, You you were making a hundred? How much are you making at Texas Tech? Oh, you're making three times as much? Well, that sounds nice. I think I'd rather go there. <laughs> and then the reality is that how do you overcome that as a coaching staff with a with a, with a twenty year old? Right, very difficult to do. And so the reality is that these people know that Dillingham said not not today, but in recent weeks that for eighty to eighty five percent of the kids that they're that that you want to recruit. 80 to 85% of what matters is NIL. So if you're an ASU fan, you listen to our podcast, right? We get hundreds or thousands of people listening to these podcasts. Uh, What you do, what you personally do has a material impact on ASU success when you look at that on average across a fan base, right? Right? And so and the reality is, is that ASU has one of the largest alumni populations so it has the ability to not necessarily rely on as narrow of a of a uh, group of prominent boosters you know I'm just throwing this out there you know Pat Tillman is an important guy PT42 Ward jersey number 42 you donate $42 a month that's around $500 a year quick math top of my head you get a thousand people giving $500 a year. It's $500,000. The reporting that I had said that a, a roster right now needs probably three or four million dollars in football to be successful. Okay. Well, a thousand people giving $42 a month gets you, uh, what is that? You know, 15, 20, 25% or something of the way there, depending on what you're, what number you're trying to get to. it's it's an important number. You get to about 2,000 people, 3,000 people doing it. Well, now you're almost all the way there. So the bottom line is that is a recipe that ASU needs to try to, to refine and tap into and articulate. And that hasn't happened from the presidential level to the athletic director level, to the head coaches level, to the fundraiser level, to the people who run ASU's NIL. It all needs to be synced up across the entire stream. You know, and if you do that, you have a chance.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how they kind of change course now with Ray Anderson uh departing and this influx of of money into the collective, as you said, just happening already today. So definitely some numbers to keep an eye on there. Uh, and we'll we'll have to keep up with that. Uh moving on to to the last part of this discussion. Before we hop into ASU versus UCLA and recapping that, what type of a person should ASU be looking for in its athletic director position and why?
1: I think there's um, two very important components to this. And there are some positive signs from the recent hires that have been made by Michael Crow and Ray Anderson that wouldn't have been made in the past, like Bloomquist, Willie Bloomquist, baseball coach, Kenny Dillingham, the football coach, uh, they were not head coaches before at the major college level or anywhere. And not certainly not the NFL level. Before Michael Crow, he was very big on your resume or your CV, as he probably would call it. And um, you know, wanting to wanting to have name ID and national brand, you know, I, I uh, you know, impact. And they went away from that with Dillingham. I think that's a good sign. I, I I think that that's also an important thing in the athletic director. You don't need the biggest name. What you need are one of two things. And if you could find them both, they'd be, it'd be amazing, but I don't know if they both exist. The first is if it's somebody who really understands ASU at a deep level, just like Kane Dillingham understands the Valley and he's a graduate of ASU and he co- he was a gra- he was a graduate assistant at ASU and he understood football at ASU and he knows the conference. If you could find like that, that would be great. The person who 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 satisfies that is Rocky Harris. He worked for ASU Athletics. He was the number two person under Steve Patterson transitioning from Lisa Love. Um nobody more impressive to my to my mind than Rocky Harris. Uh he left to go work for the, the US Olympic um, triathlon and, 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 uh, you know, it's a year now away from the Paris Olympics. I don't know if he would consider coming back, but I know that he understands ASU athletics at a very, at a very detailed level in a way that would allow him to hit the ground running on a lot of these things. Then the second thing, which is maybe even more important, but at least as important is, and this has been just totally missing at ASU It's somebody who understands how an athletic department functions at a blue blood program at a, at a top 20 perennially relevant, uh, great booster development program. What does that look like? Okay. So you don't have to have been the athletic director at one of these schools, but you have to have been high up in an athletic department, maybe the number two person at one of these schools who understands this is exactly what we need our operation to look like from the top down and how it functions and is structured. And somebody who ideally would be young and have energy and be dynamic personality and connect well to boosters because of the fundraising component of this that's so important. So that person maybe could be somebody who did that and then moved on to be an athletic director at a smaller school who would look at ASU as a as a rise. Okay. Or maybe it's somebody who still exists in a number two position at at that level of a school that would make a lot of sense. But you got to either get my opinion, You, you this is not time for an outside the box non-athletic director, non-college sports person. That would be terrible. You either have to be the Rocky Harris person who knows ASU intimately and also college athletics at a high level or you have to be somebody who already has worked at the near the top of the food chain at Ohio State, Texas, Texas A&M, Georgia, Alabama, Michigan in the SEC type of a thing. That's what you need.
0: Let's go ahead and transition and hop into some football talk now. There were questions, Chris, about how well ASU is going to be able to handle the insane pressure of that UCLA defensive line. But they spread things out, created those one-on-one and two-on-two opportunities with the playmakers. And defensively, the team stood tall with four fourth-down stands. Want to just get your initial reactions right out of the gate to the game and your experience uh, in that atmosphere at the Rose Bowl.
1: It was a great coaching performance. Uh, Tremendous, really. I fully expected ASU was going to lose by three touchdowns in this game. I think that the Bruins not having Dante more was a a factor that was a benefit to ASU. If I had known that, I maybe would have cut down that number a decent amount. But um, what ASU did schematically, offensively, as you you mentioned there, uh, truly never seen anything like that in my life. Covering football a long time, and so just a sort of short, you know, quick analysis of what how what they did. UCLA great defensive line, maybe even better than Utah. ASU offensive line really uh, injured injured. They had offensive guards starting at tackles, and guys that were not going to be able to hang in there against UCLA's great defensive front, like like Lyle like Latu. I mean, that is. A problem. So, what does Kenny Dillingham decide to do? Oh, I'm going to move four of our linemen all the way out uh, on the far side of the field. And then a receiver is going to go over there so that we can throw screens if we want to, or at least have the element of them thinking we can throw screens. They have to move some of their defensive linemen out there. Then anything else that we do is going to be very quick developing. We're, we're gonna ha- we're gonna snap the ball. We're gonna have two skill players on either side of the center. Quarterback's gonna get the ball, or Jalen Conyers is gonna get the ball. Direct snap. He started at quarterback for the first play, and then some 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 of the offensive uh, sets that thereafter. Cameron Scadaboo, uh who might be ASU's best quarterback at this point, I'm not really sure. Uh, you know, threw the only touchdown pass to Elijah Badger. He's got a pretty good arm. I mean, it's very interesting. But they what they did was. They are able to get generate two on twos away from their four linemen you know out in out in the, the you know crazy la la land out there yeah outside the and, numbers yeah yeah and you know what it was it wasn't very successful? No, but it frustrated UCLA. They got 15-yard personal foul penalty. They got uh, pass interference penalties. You could tell that they thought they were they were they were upset. They, This was like gimmick ball to them, and so it, it disrupted their their whole operation. And I just think that it it, it proves that Kenny Dillingham and ASU's coaches they they really are trying to win games, not just like throw in the towel and prepare the young players for next year, and also it's validating that if everybody listens to what the coaches are saying, they can be successful. They talked about how the, the locker room was quieter than prior games because guys were dialed in. They were you know, focused on reading their tip sheets and their alerts and, and all that. So they're, look, they're a bad offense. Even in this game, they weren't, a, they were not a good offense that didn't change. But what happened was this was a strategy that gave them the best chance to win. And then it worked. And then, it it just is something that reflects well on your the coaching considerations the the game planning and what you're trying to do and this this originated by the way from Ken, Kenny Dillingham talking with Marvin Lewis about something that happened in the 1980s between Utah and New Mexico where Jim Fozel who went on to be a, an NFL head coach used this scheme uh, with Utah's offense Probably for similar reasons, against New Mexico and maybe even other defenses when when uh Lu- when Lewis was uh one of the assistant coaches at New Mexico. so they went and they watched a YouTube video. I, I haven't found it yet, but I I'm plan on searching for it. They went and watched a YouTube video about, you know, you know that showed like what Utah tried to do. and then Dillingham was like, okay, let's figure it out. but you know, it was unorthodox. And some even called it gimmicky, but the thing was, as Dillingham said, it was sound. It generated exactly the types of looks that you wanted to get out of it. And no matter what a defense does, there were answers. All the permutations of whatever that they needed to do were, were built into the thing in a way that allowed them to, to have an answer. So kudos to them for that. Yeah, absolutely. It was,
0: you know, something completely different outside the box, but like you said, To Kenny Dillingham's point, it worked, uh, and that's all that matters. So uh, just diving into the game a little bit more, it was such a stark contrast from the Utah game. You know, historic loss the week prior. They come back, uh, really install a lot of changes into the scheme, and the team and Kenny Dillingham are able to go out and capture a victory. And you already talked about some of the things uh, that that formation led to leading UCLA being out of position. But what are some other things uh, specifically that the Sun Devils did to negate uh, the Bruins defense in this matchup.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I just, they just, they just were so frustrated by it and they couldn't do their normal pass rush. And that, that was, that was amazing. And I, I probably flipped this up, but I probably should have talked about the ASU's defensive effort first. And I didn't. So my bad on that, but I, the, the, what ASU did defensively was it, utilize this successful fourth down stops early in the game as a springboard to success. They, they, they got a goal line stop on fourth and goal at the one which followed two previous stops. Um, There was a huge sort of energy uplift that happened with their, with their, their team. Then the next time down UCLA got into the short red area again on the nine yard line or the 10 yard line. And then they got stopped again on a fourth and one. And then they were stopped again later in the game around midfield on another fourth and short fourth and two, I believe it was. So the two red zone trips get no points, right? That alone is like pretty much the difference in the game. And does Sean Mallory is the guy who personifies this better than anybody else. He was the defensive lineman of the week in the PAC 12. Uh, he made multiple stops in these fourth down situations. And then they ran the ball away from him. He still made a play. He's, you know, he's turning stunts into running laterally to bat down balls. And, you know, the, so many really impressive things Dillingham said after the game that Deshaun Mallory was almost like a cast off from Michigan state. Who's now, Got a chance to get drafted, and he's like one of ASU's best players and maybe an MVP candidate for the team. And I think that he was like selling future players about what ASU was able to do with Deshaun Mallory as a defensive alignment, very similar to what's happened with Prince Dorba, Clayton Smith, and others. And that is what I think the direction of ASU football is going to be in the next year or, or you know, several years or longer, which is try to get the Great athletes that maybe for whatever reason they're not pushing through at their high-profile programs, the Texas, Oklahoma's of the world, and so we'll see. But a lot of people they question Brian Ward. Oh, you gave Brian Ward this extension, and then they go and they get shellacked at Utah and they have their worst performance ever. Like what? What's going on with that? And then you come back against UCLA in the Rose Bowl, and that may have been the that may have been the thing that leads to everybody feeling like chip Kelly needs to be done at UCLA. Like it's, it was that type of a, of a thing that I think that we, the magnitude of that, that we, that we witnessed there. So really just overall can't, sorry, I re, I did the reverse order of these t- segments, but I, I can't, I just can't say enough about how encouraging that that should be to ASU fans about the coaches. We've been, this is a whole nother tangent, Ethan, but one of the things I said for a long time about Herb Edwards is I just don't like a coach who hasn't been a coordinator at the highest level. Cause I think you need to be able to have the chess match conversations at a, at, you know, at, at a very high level. Right. And that is something that, that you really can't do unless you've been a coordinator, in my opinion, most of the time. And Dillingham showed very clearly he's able to do that, and Ward is able to do that. And then that that uh, that shapes all your conversations that you're having within your organization, and when you consider which coaches you should hire and why, and what they bring to the the table, you're just having a much higher uh, football IQ uh, dialogue that's taking place, and that wasn't ever really there with Herm Edwards and uh, so look i think asu fans should be really encouraged by it's it sounds crazy to say when you're covering a 3 and 7 team in the first year and they're coming off a 3 and 9 season um and things kind of bottomed out but you know the struggle is what makes the success sweeter okay i can remember see, it was at we were in Sun Devil Stadium when the Chicago Cubs won the World Series for the first time since whatever that was, right? hundred years or whatever it was. And I saw grown men crying, right? And somebody tweeted today at me when I broke the news about Ray Anderson, that they were at work crying. And I was like, and that's just, you're shedding tears and not even like, something like really positively great happening, right? Like, like going to a major bowl game, winning a major bowl game, be getting to the playoff or whatever. So my point is for ASU fans is you're going to feel what it was like in, in these low years. And that is going to matter a lot emotionally if, and when ASU does have another special breakthrough season, especially if it can happen within a reasonable amount of time under this coaching staff, it's going to lead to really special sentiment. And that's hard to think about right now, but I, I, I strongly believe that it's not that dissimilar to how bad ASU was 1993, 1994 under Bruce Snyder, Jake Plummer's, yeah uh, you know first year starting the team was really injured in 94 they had, they weren't they they were terrible and then they play at Nebraska. They lose by 49 points, 1995. By the end of that season, they're 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 starting to win games. They're it's success. Their success. Then by 1996, they, they beat Nebraska. They shut Nebraska out at Sun Devil Stadium. It's magical. It leads to a cascading thing of just waves of just enjoyment that then ends with the wins over USC and and Cal. And fans are rushing the field. And the the victory bell is, is, is being sound outside the stadium and goalposts are being carried through mill and campus and all these things. And if you're always successful, that doesn't it doesn't feel like that. But when you go through this, what what fans have gone through now, if you find a way from that to, 10, 11, 12 wins, something special happening. It's going to be a magical thing for ASU fans. And it's not unattainable. It is absolutely not unattainable.
0: It's a gradual process, stepping stones that uh, need to be taken still, Chris, as you mentioned. But definitely uh, an exciting time in Tempe uh, for a lot of fans um, following today's news chris thank you so much as always and thank you to listeners for tuning in we'll be back with a premium podcast later this week ahead of always something universities matchup against oregon that game will be at 2 p.m on fox for myself and chris cartman we're saying thank you so much so long we'll see you next time